Today's scripture is from the second chapter of Peter's first letter in the fourth through the twelfth verse. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. So it is a blessing to be here. I am excited. I was sitting there and God said, um, you know how you excited, like when your favorite football team is on or, you know, your favorite fighter is about to get into the ring and, you know, you get excited, you get pumped up. I need that same thrill. I need that same passion, right? So somehow it's, we get into this, you know, the believer, we become a Christian and we somehow get timid or we get afraid or we uh, get, you know, oh, I don't know if I can say that or I don't, I'm not as excited. We don't share that same passion and zeal. And God's saying that I want you, all my believers, all my children, I want you to worship and praise me how you used to praise the world. Matter of fact, I want you to go above and beyond that because the world can't offer you any salvation. The world can't offer you any hope. As we look into our world today, we look at what's going on and we see all the trouble. We turn on the television, it's another shooting, another killing, another incident. And we look into the world and we're like, God, how can I? And God is reminding us through Scripture, through our text today, the scripture last week before pastor left to Haiti that I am control. I am in control. This is my world. And all these things are, are, have already been spoken. All these things have already be spo- been spoken. So today we're going to continue our study, our systematic uh, study with the church. The church. First Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. And last week we talked about, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received, but received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And when I thought about that in context with today, today's scripture, it's amazing. It really gets me excited. And I, I, what I did was I grabbed a couple uh, slides that I just want to kind of talk about uh, as we look into the world and we look at what's going on. What is the church? 
we had a conversation this morning is that people talk about, you know, I don't really go to church. I could sit at home and worship and praise. I could do my own thing. But as we look into scripture and we look into what God says church is, we see that if you, and no, you can't probably see because I can barely see it, but the word church is actually spelled out with people. Those are pictures, little pictures of people. So what is the church? It's not a building. It's not a building. We must understand the church is not a building. It's the people. You are the church. We are the church. So when we sit at home and praise and worship on our own, we can't, we can't do that. That's not church. That's not church. Church is when we come together, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of the believers. Do not forsake worship, corporate worship. Why? Because it's something that amazing happens when we come together like this. Something special happens when we come together like this. So the church, what is the church? It's not a building. We must understand that, and we must share that with the world. When people ask, well, what church do you go to? Well, where I worship is City Church, Sacramento, and it's held at Health Professions High School. But I am a part of the church. I am the church. We must understand that. Because too many times the people are like, I don't, I don't go to that church because it's all nice. Everybody has a nice car. It looks too fancy. I won't belong. It's because they're stuck on the building. We're looking at the building, and that's not the church. So we must educate people. We have to be as simple things like that. And even for me, I have to correct that. When I'm going to church, right, we say, we want to say that, I'm going to church. I have to correct myself. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. Because people need to understand there's a difference. I worship at City Church. I worship at Health Professions High School. This becomes our sanctuary, as Pastor said. It's something remarkable happens here every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. This becomes a sanctuary where God's people come to worship and praise and sing songs. So we must understand that we are the church. Another slide that, that spoke to me says, a church is not a museum for good people. It's a hospital for the broken. As I looked at that, I thought about how many times have people looked at a church or went to a church and they seen people didn't want to scoot over for them, right? They didn't want to say, you can sit right here, or they didn't greet and smile, them, and smile at them. So they said, you know what? It's too many good people here. And I'm a broken person, and I need to go somewhere where other broken people are being healed. So we must understand that we, the, the city church, everybody in here, including me, has been broken, is broken, is being fixed daily, daily, renewed every day. Every day I'm being renewed by God. So it's not about people coming in here and you looking good. It's okay to look good. Listen to me. I'm not saying, I got one amen. It's not, I'm not saying that you can't look good. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we can't allow our pride to get ahead of what God is trying to do through us. So the church is not a museum for good people. This is not a place where we come together, we sit here, we look good, we praise, we look cute, you know, praise and stuff. Sometimes praise get ugly. I don't know about you, but y'all you, you, don't see me sometimes weeping. It's like, ugh, look at him. Because sometimes your praise looks ugly. It's not about looking good. I don't care what you got to say about me because I know who got me here. I know who's delivering me in my life on a daily basis. It's not you. 
Now, understand, I am encouraged when I see you, though. I am encouraged. When, I, when we come together like this, I am encouraged. So, like, ooh, they made it. I seen what was going on through their life this week, but they still here. They made it. So the church, city church, is a place, it's a hospital. That's one of the biggest pe- issues that the world has with the church. It's like, oh, you, them people who are fake, them hypocrites. I don't go to church because there's hypocrites. Well, see, if you understand that the church is a people and the people are broken, and that's why God sent Jesus to die for us because we are all hypocritical. We all have some issues in our lives, but we're working on it. Then I might be more likely to go to church. One of the things that um, me and Gene were talking about, we were reflecting over our go hard or go home Bible study. We had this Bible study when we were 18, 19 years old, right? Sister e- <laughs> Sister Sneezy, we was at that age, you know, it was like, I'm 18 now, I'm about to step out to the club. And so we were like, man, we need to stay focused. You know, it's a lot going on. It's a lot of temptation. We need to stay focused. Let's, you know what, let's start a Bible study. 18 night, let's start a Bible study on a Friday night. What? A Friday night? You don't want to do it on Thursday just in case Friday you want to step out? No, let's do it on a Friday. Why? Because Friday, you know, that's, that's the, where your weekend, you're about to get it started. You had a long week right, of the school or whatever was going on. And so Friday, you want to turn up? It's like, let's, let's get to it. Let's party. Let's party like it's 1990. Some of y'all, you know, look, had to take a little amen. Some of y'all like, turn up. I don't know what's going on, but that, that you know, that Prince came on. Oh, I know that one. Amen. But we started this Bible study, and what we seen is that when we were real transparent, we were like, hey, man, this is what's going on with me. Like, it's Friday. You know, she just hit the cell phone. She said, come over. It's good. And I'm like, I got to go to Bible study. Bible study? Yeah, I got to go to Bible study because, you know, I'm not trying to do that, God. He's called me to be different. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I'm not supposed to be living like everybody else is living. So maybe you could come to my Bible study. And we would go to these Bible studies, and we would be in Bible study. And we would give each other that look, that phone vibrate. <laughs> like, is that? Yeah, that's temptation. I know who that is, right? So we have to hold each other accountable. That's another thing about the church. The church is where we come to be, hold each other accountable. So as he's slipping or if I'm slipping, he can hold me accountable. We can say, you know what? Hey, look, let's stay focused on this Bible study. Let's just get through the Bible study. Let's not worry about after Bible study. Let's just get through there, right? Because sometimes that's another problem we have as Christians. We look at all the things we got to accomplish, all the things we got to tackle. And it's like, okay, look, just worry about today. That's why the Bible says don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble. So in our focus, it was like, let's just get through Bible study. You know, let's, don't, don't open the message right now. You don't know what's in there. It might be some spam. You don't know. And so as we would go through these Bible studies, we would sit there, and we were being transparent and real, and other believers, other young people were like, you know what? I went to my church. I used to go to church, and I just seen some stuff that, my, you know, my pa- whether it was their parents or people in the church treated them wrong, they're like, you know, I would go to church, but there's something different here at this Bible study. Y'all talking about y'all flaws? Y'all talking about how y'all got issues? Y'all struggling, but God is providing? Y'all depending on the Lord? This is different. I thought you were supposed to just look good and worship on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday, you do what the heck you want to. Oh, that's not how it works? No. God is working on our lives on a daily basis. So as we're, getting, as we're going to the hospital Sunday, every Sunday, this ER room, we're getting ready so that on Monday throughout this week, we can be prepared for what is going to happen. This is where we come to get, uh, these are where we get our weapons. 
So we must understand that, so we have to stay focused. The church has to stay focused. So there's two things that I want to read that uh, spoke to me. It says, the church must proclaim in its teaching and embody in its practice love and justice for those who, out, who the outside world will wish to silence or to kill. And the mission of the church must be to proclaim everlasting life and to work to honor every life made in the image of God. A church, this, this right here, uh, please, if you have a, a pencil or a pen or if you want to snapshot it or screen something, you need to look at this. A church that loses its distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which it to engage the culture. A worldly church is of no good to the world. I'm going to read it one more time because it almost knocked me out of my seat when I read this. A church that loses its distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which, which to engage the culture. A worldly church is of no good to the world. In other words, a church that loses its difference has nothing different to offer a hopeless world. Think about that. What separates us from the world? If we're just bringing people in this body, into city church, and replicating what the world is already doing, what hope is that to the world? If we operate by the same system that the world operates, how is that any different from the world? Again, as I quoted earlier, a lot of people watch. I don't go to church because those people. So does your church, is our church, is there something distinct, is there something remarkable, different from us than the world? Are we offering something different? We must, if we want to see real change within the world, we want to see real change in the world, the church must be, the church has to act. We don't need more laws. We don't need more regulations. We need the, the, the church, the church to become active in the community. As City Church, we're active. God has called us, right, out of the world. Then he says, I'm going to clean you up, Matthew. I'm going to clean you up and constantly be cleaning you, and then I'm going to throw you back into the world. Why? Because I need you to go out and swim, and I need you to bring some other people in. You are now my bait. That's why Jesus told his disciples, you, you, you're fishermen, you know how to fish, but I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. What does that mean? I'm going to teach you how to catch people through, on, my, on my own. No, through the power of the Holy Ghost, through the power which I'm going to give you. So if in order for us to really see change within the world, the church has to utilize the Holy Ghost. We have to utilize God. So I found this so amazing. A church that loses distinctiveness. We have to be different. That was another thing that we seen that w why we did what we did. Our Bible study, it was like, I don't want to do what the world is doing. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. We go to church every Sunday, but we're not seeing transformation. We're going to these Bible studies, but we're not seeing transformation. So what are we going to do different? You know what, Brother Gene, we're going to come in there. We're going to have a Bible study. We're going to get into a text. We're going to go deep with the text. We're going to lay it all on the table. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling. And what does God have to say about that? I don't need you to give me another opinion of what you think I should do. What does God say I should do with this? God said, okay, I'm, I'm wrestling with pornography. What does God have to say about this? Well, God says that I need you. First, I need you to understand that 
I have died for your sin. It's not a shock to me. The things that you're going through are not a shock to God. A lot of times we live like that. It's like, oh, I done did this. How God going how's he going to fix this? It's like, I already paid the price on Calvary. I already paid the price. I died for you. I died for you. Whatever the sin may be in our, in our lives, right, in our lives today, what has happened? What are we going through in our lives right now that has us like, you know what, I just, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself too, what is it that's going through in my life right now that has me like, ah, I can't, I would, but it's because I'm so jacked up. God's constantly reminding me, I died for that. I died for that sin. I died so that you can walk in authority so that you can conquer that sin. So it's not that we can't, as pastors often said, it's that we won't. I won't pick up my cross and say, you know what? God died for this. It doesn't matter how you look at me. And that's another thing, how, why we were, able so, we were so able to be transparent, right? We were able to be transparent because we understood that it wasn't about us. It wasn't about our, what we were doing. It was about what Jesus had already done. So as we look into our text today, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he comes to visit. It is important that we take last week's sermon in comparison to today's because we have to understand that when, when he was talking about this, when Peter now transitions to dear friends, I urge you, it goes into right what we were talking about last week. But you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are the royal priesthood. You. Now he's saying, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. As we look into this, it's amazing how God is doing something so, so completely awesome. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners to, and the exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Some translations say beloved, I urge you. Some, trans, uh, some say uh, strangers or aliens, right? But we see that we are, we, the, the point is that we don't belong in this world. That's what Peter's conveying. Peter 1, 1 and 1, and then Peter 1, 17 reminds us that we don't belong here. As we have learned before that we are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. Though we live on earth, our citizenship, where we belong, is in heaven. Once we said, Christ, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Pastors also shared that multiple times. We reside, our citizenship is in heaven. The reason we operate differently, the reason we don't do what everybody else is doing is because we are not from here. We are not, uh, as a, a quote says, we are not earthly beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on an earthly journey. That's why this flesh is never satisfied. It's something, why? Because our spirit inside of us quenches for something more, which is God. So if the world doesn't know that, if the church is not doing its job and going out and letting the world know that, it can't fight this war. It is no wonder why our waves and beliefs are being pushed to the side along with God. The world says our ways are dated, but they fail to realize that their methods are futile. Their methods are pointless. Peter urges 
not commands, but urges. Similar to in Romans 12, 1, when Paul says, therefore I urge you, I urge you to offer your body as living sacrifices. Well, if you read Romans 1 all the way up to 11, you'll see why he says, therefore I urge you, all this grace, all this mercy that the believers have been given, Peter's using the same thing. Peter's saying, but you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy generation. You, you, right? Now he's transitioning and said, remember, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. So that's why I urge you as foreigners, as exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, that's why context is so important. If you just read that, you're like, oh, abstain, okay, war, I get it. But you read in comparison with, but you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, right? If you look at that, once I didn't receive mercy, once, once I didn't receive that, right? Now I have, and because I have, I should abstain from sinful desires. And what are these sinful desires? We, we, uh, we are often taught that sometimes it's just, you know, uh, lust or, or something sexual. No, these sinful desires are anything, anything that destroys our communion, our fellowship with God. The Christian life we experience, it also shows us that we are in war. We are in war. How many of you thought about that every day? Do you know that you're in a, a spiritual war? Sometimes I don't think we realize that we, every day we're in a spiritual war. You, me, the rest of the world, but to see the difference between us and the world, the, the world doesn't see it. How can you fight something you don't see? So just like when we became believers, now we've seen that, okay, we got the enemy, we got, we got the devil, we got his, the demons, we have our own flesh against us. We're in this war. I got to fight. The, the world can't fight against something that it doesn't see. So our job as believers is to reflect and show people that we are in a war. We are in a, in a spiritual war. All these things it can be sex, money, pride, possession, self, power, greed, hate. All these things wage war against our soul. All of them. All of these things wage war against our soul. So it's not just a matter. That's why, see, if you look into the world and you see like, oh, it's not just, you know, you see a business owner. They do uh, something that's just like, how could you do that? You took all those people, all that money from those poor, poor people. What's wrong with you? It's a spiritual war. Because the Bible says that the flesh is never satisfied. And if I'm not in fellowship with God, if he's not operating me, if I'm not walking in the spirit, I'm going to gratify the lust of the flesh. And if that means I want more money, that means by any means necessary. But if I submit to God and I know that he's in control and I'm going to have to answer to him, I'm going to be more careful with how I deal with your money. Those of you who don't know that this is a real situation. I'm looking at Matt, but me and Matt right now, we have a little investment together. And because I know who is in control, right, so I'm going to be transparent with you. The flesh says, you know what, you could do this. And not be honest, he wouldn't know. But because I'm cut from a different claw, because I belong to God, I have to say, you know what, I have to operate with integrity. I have to operate in truth. 
And it's amazing what happens when we operate like that. Real transformation and real growth takes place. Real business occurs when you're operating unlike the world. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The other thing about this text is that as we look at, it says, as aliens, as foreigners, the thing about being an alien or a foreigner, we don't, we don't do what everybody else is doing. I know we've been told when, Rome's do, when in Rome do as the Romans do, but the Bible tells us to do completely the opposite. The Bible says that, you know what? Like Daniel, he's like, I'm not bowing down, even if it costs me my life. So that's why we, we as Christians, as you look into the church, we look into the world, you see what's going on right now. All these, all these things that are going on. This is not, nothing new to the church. Persecution. Trouble. Like we, we, sometimes we whine, we fuss, we complain, we groan, that they don't want to listen to the church. As we look into Scripture, they never wanted to listen to the church. They never want to listen to God's people. And God was constantly having to pull his people away from the world. Come out from them. Be separate. I am your God. Why? Because he knows that when we hang out the world, we want to do what the world is doing. The world turning up, I want to turn up. The world partying, I want to party. Think about it. I've had to have this conversation with myself. As I'm going through and I'm hanging out with certain people, it's like, you always want to go back to the, you want to go back there. I'm not trying to go there. I'm trying to go here. You're trying to go there. I'm not, we have to, we have to fight this thing. It's spiritual warfare. So every time, think about it, every time you're trying to move forward, every time you're getting a little grip going, you got a little stride going, here come the enemy. Or let's not even give Satan credit. Here come your flesh. It's like, remember that one time? You did have a great time. The flesh is constantly tearing and pulling at us. Those sinful desires are constantly pulling at us, trying to destroy us. And not only destroy us, but destroy our witness. The reason, again, when we talk about the world has a problem with the church, well, yeah, because the church has done things, we've operated in ourselves, and because we've hurt people, now if I hurt you, you don't want to hear what I have to say. But if I'm operating in love, and all you've seen is me operating in love and truth, you're more likely to follow but if you know, it's like, you know, no, I know, I know what you really be going through. I know what's really going on. That's another thing. That's why I love it as we transition. 1 Peter 2, 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Remember Jesus told his disciples that? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What was he talking about? He was saying that because I have saved you, you're going to look different. You should be modeling a different life. You should be reflecting my glory. People should look at you and want to look up. What is it? It's something different about, about Mother Smith. She doesn't operate like the world operates. She shared a story with us this morning. We, we have to operate different so that when the world looks at us, it's like, and that's another thing. When, I, when I'm going through it, and I'm going through things, that's why I said last week, when I had to drop to my knees, it's not about me. This scripture is also talking about God's glory. Everything we do, God says that he created us in his image for his glory. 
So everything that we should, everything that we do should reflect that. So live such good lives that are among the pagans, among the Gentiles, amongst the unbelievers. Right? Though they look at you like, nah, something going on. You, you, you're not confessing everything. You got some issues. You're right, I do have some issues. But the difference is God is working out that, and God died for my issues. Has he died for yours? That's the difference. I think we, that's what we fail to realize. God has died for our sins. He's died for when we accepted him, and that's what separates us. So as the world looks at us and they say, well, how can you tell me and you got this going on? You're absolutely right. But the difference is I don't depend on me. I'm going to heaven. My citizenship is already in heaven. I'm just passing through. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. This world, this is foreign to me. So I can't, as, as Pastor says, the reason, we love, the reason we love differently is because we have been loved differently. So the reason I do things differently is because God does things differently. Where you know what? People may take shortcuts. He's like, you know what? I know nobody's looking, but God is looking. I found it always amazing that as Christians, as believers, I know I wasn't the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Sometimes we will, this is what we'll do. We'll hide from everybody. Our sin, we'll hide. Like, Tanisha, I don't want Tanisha to know. I don't want Matt to know I'm going through this. All the while, God is looking at our every move. We'll hide from everybody. It's like, no, I don't want them to know that I'm going through these, that I have these issues, I have these strongholds. I don't want people to know. And then the whole time, God's looking at you like, I love you. I died for you. I can change that. But we avoid God. He's the only one. That's why he said that don't be, uh, don't be afraid of the person who could destroy, destroy the body. You should fear me. I could destroy your body and your soul. But we don't take that in. Again, we don't look at that. We're so busy hiding from each other. Like, oh, I'm the church. I got to be perfect. I got to be I gotta be good. It's not about that. Pastor John Piper has this sermon called Bad. I am bad. He quotes, he used it. They, had the, they even made a little remix. They got the Michael Jackson bad theme music playing. Talking about at my core, John Piper, the pastor, mega pastor says, I am bad at my core. I am bad. And when I understand that, right, think about this. Think about this. I'll never, I'll never forget this. This pastor said, if we were to take all your thoughts, your thoughts, let's just think about this, your thoughts, and to take your thoughts and throw them on a projector, just your thoughts, from age zero to your current age. Thoughts, not your actions, not things that you thought and you actually did, not those sins, just the ones you thought about. If we were to say, you know what, Nate, let's just throw your thoughts up there. Zero to, some of y'all be like, you know what, I just, uh-uh, ain't no God. I, this, there is something wrong with him. There, how did God, why is he up there? And likewise, if we were to take your sins, take your thoughts, Throw them up there. Some of y'all be like, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> Relationships will be over. City church will be no more. It's like, I just, after I've seen that, I don't. Why? Because at our very core, 
Think about this. At our very core, we're evil. We could be good. We could look like, I'm telling you, I, I know. We could look good. I remember the, one of the most humbling experiences was when I got up to preach one Sunday, and I did my thing. I, I was preaching, and I, I did what I did. But I didn't study. I didn't pray. I didn't meditate. And somebody came in and said, you did that. And it broke me because I said, I, I, did, I know, I did. I, I did do that. And it wasn't about me. And it was humbling. God actually stepped back and said, yeah, you did do that. You didn't even consult me. You didn't even say, is this pleasing to you? You were operating in pride. So that's why at our very essence, at our very core, we're evil. Think about that. Your thoughts. Why, 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 it's like, why am I so jacked up? Because the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All. Not some of us. All of us. That's what Romans was talking about. In the beginning of Romans, when Paul was talking about the, the unbelievers, like these people who, only humans, like we have this, again, I talked about it last week. We have this ingrained in this, this, this worship. We want to worship and praise something. A lot of times it's not God, but we want to worship. If it's a football game, a fighter. I know yesterday I was watching a man get knocked out, and I was excited. I was like, ooh, ooh, it was a good fight. I was, it's in me. It's worship. It's praise. It's inside of us. But a lot of times it's not focused on who it should be focused on. And so as I, as I think about this, as our scripture, as we go into, into text, and we look at, at worship and praise, and Paul was talking about these people, these unbelievers, not only did evil things, they created new ways of evil. And not only did they create new ways, they clapped for those who said, hey, that's a good sin right there. I know mine was good, but yours was better. Why? Because God had gave them over to a depraved, a reprobate mind. What does that mean? My mind is just so jacked up. And as we look at society, let's look at like, living it where we are now. Look at our culture. Look at what's going on. We're removing God out of the equation. It's like, God, I don't want your morals. I don't want your morals. I don't want your laws. I don't want your decrees. I know they keep me in check. I know they keep me balanced because I know without it, I'm a wreck. But I don't want that. Why? I want to do what I want to do. And I want to feel, I want to be guilt-free. I want to be guilt-free in it. And God, and as we look into the scripture, that's why the Bible's so relevant. People are like, no, that's dated. That has nothing to do with me. You look into the scripture, any human, said today. And we're believers. Think about this. The thought thing, right? Believers, some of us have been saved for a while. But even after we were saved, if we were to take those thoughts and throw them up there, I'd be like, see, God, he's not done with me yet. That's why he's still working on me. Because in at our core, and that's why we need Jesus to constantly be interceding on our behalf. Constantly. Because without him, we're horrible. We deserve death. We're hellbound. So he says, live such good lives among the pagans. We should live such good lives among these pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he comes to visit. Christians are to be role models for the world. When's the last time uh, an unbeliever came to you and asked you to, to guide them? I need you to lead me. I need you to be a role model in my life. I'm talking about a person who has it all together, like, you know what, I just, I know, you, you know, you, you didn't go to school and everything, but I, I want what you have. 
Christians should be role models to the world. Our lives are constantly on display for the world to examine. Jesus told his disciples again, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So with that in mind, we should be reflecting that glory. We should be reflecting that love to the world. Because he has saved us. He died for us. And because he did that, now we act differently. We live differently. Think about that. Think about what would happen if we were to live in such a way that unbelievers came like, I I want what you have. We have to ask that question. Do I live such a, a, such a good life that the people around me want what I, what I have? And I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm talking about that joy that transcends all understanding, that peace that you can't buy. You know, when your world's really jacked up and you're just sitting there like, God is good, I'm all right. He brought me through, I'm going I'm to I'm be able to conquer. I'm going to be able to walk through it. Or do you have that life that's like, you know what? I really, I'm really second-guessing this Christian thing. Another thing pop off, I might just walk out of here. Just can't deal with it. We should be asking ourselves, do we, roll, do we model that behavior? Listen to this. I took a quote from uh, an excerpt from Pastor John Piper, and, and the reason I'm borrowing this is because it just, there's no point in kind of trying to remake the will, redo the will. Like, it's already good stuff. So just listen to this. The goal of human behavior is the glory of God. Keep your behavior, this is what he's talking about in the scripture, keep your behavior excellent so that the Gentiles might glorify God. The positive significance of our lives is derived from whether our lives direct people's attention to the glory of God. Does our lives direct people to God? Or do they say, you know what, I'm gone. I would... I don't, I don't want to, I don't want nothing, I don't want nothing, I don't want to be a part of that. Or do our lives really direct people to God? We have to answer that question. If we live our lives in such a way that they don't point people to the glory of God, then our lives are without positive significance from a Christian standpoint. What we become is just an echo of a God-neglecting culture. Think about that. What John is saying that if we don't, if there's no difference between us and the world, we're just offering what the, earl, what the world has already offered them twice. No hope. A road that leads to nowhere. Think about that. So we should, we, should our, li- our lives should be directing people to God. We should be reflect- and reflecting an uh, echo of hope. Continue. We fit into the world if we fit into the world so well, listen to this, if we fit into the world so well that our lives don't point beyond this world, we are no longer aliens and strangers, but simply conforming citizens of the God-ignoring world. But from a biblical standpoint, the greatest issue in this world is the glory of God. All human behavior is meant by God to get the attention for God. Keep your behavior excellent so that they may glorify God. As far as God is concerned, your life has positive significance to the degree that what you do from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, it should be pointing to God. Think about that. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed. Everything that you do should be 
directing people to the glory of God. You should be, that's why Paul says, do whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Why would he say something like that? Because he knows that Christians, we, we the believers, right, sometimes if we're not walking in, in the spirit, we're going to get ahead of ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. But if we're living with a with God-centered focus is that everything that I do should be for the glory of God, a lot of the situations that we're in right now, or a lot of things that we've experienced in our lives, we wouldn't experience. But a lot of times, the reasons we go through what we're going through is because we wanted to live, we wanted to do what we wanted to do. It wasn't a God-centered focus. It wasn't about his glory. And we should not fret and we should not fear. Think about it. We shouldn't be focused or we shouldn't be scared because God has not left us, left us weaponless. God has blessed us with a precious gift who fights on our behalf. You ever get those people around you who, like, question because, like, it's, it doesn't make sense? I'll, I use the example, you know, brothers and sisters together. You, you're my family, so I'm going to share with you. Um, you know, especially back in the day, we talk about this Bible study period, this era when we were young adults and uh, younger adults. I'm still a <laughs> young adult, amen. Uh, so when we were younger adults and, and these opportunities to, uh, to, to, to sin would present themselves, right, with m- maybe myself and another young lady, I would say, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And it was so puzzling to the world. It was, matter of fact, it was puzzling to the young lady. She's like, what you mean? The offer's on the table, why are you not accept? (sighs) Being transparent. As much as I would want to, I operate differently. I can't do what everybody else is doing. The Bible tells me that I should abstain from these sinful desires that are waging war against my soul. I should be saving myself for marriage. As we just went through our relationship course, and we think about, and I, and I, was, I thought about this. I said, we, we're, at, we're in a time where the world says, you know what, sleep with whoever, do whatever makes you happy, whatever pleases you. And we look at God's concept of what marriage is and how we should be waiting, how we should abstain, and we should just wait until that holy day to the union. I thought about how beautiful, how amazing it must be for those who actually follow that. Think about this. On that special day, they've waited. You know how it is when you're waiting for something that you really, really want. I know how it is when I'm waiting for, uh, I shared with you last week, for an iPhone. I was excited. Like, it finally got here. I was excited. But as we went through this course, it's like God has designed this thing unique. He's, a, he's designed it so special, so holy. But the world, right, this is, again, what separates us from the world? Do we operate differently than the world does? That's, that's the job of the church. The church should be operating differently. I had to examine my, myself this morning. As I woke up, I prayed, I dropped down, thank you, Lord. And I started to meditate. And then God put on my heart, he said, I want you to I, look at your phone. Get on your Snapchat. I want you to look at things from my point of view. Okay. As you look at each snap, you got friends who say they're believers. You got friends who are unbelievers. 
what separates them on their snaps? What separates from how they're operating their lives? The challenging part for me was I really didn't see a difference. Everything that the world was doing, the believers were doing. Now, what am I saying? What I'm, I'm not saying that we can't have fun, we can't enjoy ourselves, but what I'm saying is that it was scary that the believers and the unbelievers lives from a social media standpoint looked exactly the same. So it made me check, examine myself. How am I any different? Is what I'm post, does what I post separate myself from everybody else? Now we understand, understand this. I know that we can post something and live a completely different lifestyle. You ever met one of those people? You, look, you, you, you thought you knew them because you looked at their Facebook or their, or their, their IG account. You're like, they're so holy you got with them. You're like, ooh, no wonder. Again, we talk about the church. No wonder people have these issues. But I'm talking about people who profess, people who are, go to church. What separates us? And this is, again, this is just a, a question, a challenge for us to examine ourselves. As Paul in Romans says, everyone should examine themselves to see if, we, if our lives align with Christ. That's all this is. Even for me, I had to examine, is there a difference between me and the world? Again, like I stated earlier, the difference is I've accepted Christ. I'm now depending on him. I'm wrestling this thing. It's a fight. So th this morning, we must understand that everybody here, everybody, we all are in a spiritual war. If you didn't know, now you know. We're all in a spiritual war, which means every day is going to be a fight. And I know it gets rough. I, I know. I know it looks, it's like, you know what? I can't do it. It's just so much negativity. It's so much going on. I know. I get it. But God has called us to fight. And the weapons that we fight with are not of this world. We fight with a different set of, world, uh, of weapons. I'm going to end with this. What if the church followed out the commands of God? What if the church loved their neighbor as thyself? Taught all nations and baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. What if the church didn't treat people the way the world treated them? I think we always have to pause there because one of the, the issues that we all know, we have our friends and family members, some of our family members don't go to church because they were hurt by church folks. They were hurt by church people. It's like, I don't go to church because of you, because of those people. So what if the church treated unbelievers differently? They came in here, right, as we, one of the biggest responses that we get from City Church is what? Your pastor is outside greeting people. He's loving on, he loved on me like I've never been loved before. He loved on me. He said hi to me. He embraced me. He hugged me. Think about this. Is the world doing that? No. So I'm more likely to go into a church where people are being loved and being greeted because they've been loved and greeted by God. Again, my actions should reflect or direct people's attention to God. Why is pastor smiling and greeting and hugging everybody and kissing and greeting everybody and holy kiss? Why? Because I have met Jesus Christ. I've experienced him. I know him on an intimate level. And because of that, 
he gives me that desire to love his people. That's the difference. What if the church was not divided into the same political, economical, social, and racial groups the world was? What if church, every worship, right, on Sunday morning, morning wasn't the most segregated time in America? What if? These are things that God has called us. These are the commands. God says, I have called you to go into the world and love on the world. Doesn't matter your, your, your status. It doesn't matter your, how much money you got, how, what your race is. I have commanded everybody to love. This last one, really, I, I bought this from, from um, I think his name is Russell Moore, who says that what if the custodian minister of the CEO because he was more spiritually mature? What would happen? It's like, I know you're a boss and everything, I get that, but you're dying, you're going to hell. I understand that, right? You got money in your pocket, but Jesus says, what is a profit a man to gain the whole world to lose his soul? So what if the, 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 the minimum wage, you know, custodian was able to mentor the CEO because he had better business practices because he was a man of integrity, because he was a man who depended completely on God? What would happen to the world? It would be transformed. As I look into the world, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this on my job. Everybody else complaining about certain things. It's like, Nate, why are you so quiet? Because you're tripping, but I know who's really in control. Like you, you cussing and whining and complaining, like that's not going to change anything. I know what I can, if I go over here, in 10 seconds of me doing this, as Pastor shared before, I can pray and watch the situation change. Because I pray with expectation. Because I know that if, if, this is, if this is his will, the situation is going to change. So I challenge us all here today, all of us church, all of us who are in the church, who make up the church, who are the church, right? We are the believers. I challenge us all to live out those commands, live out those instructions. Because God has called us to do so. This is, this is we're, the, the, uh, one of the things that I heard from another pastor said that the church, as, as especially the younger we are, right, we're, going, we're getting to a time to where we're going to want to negotiate uh, parts of the gospel away. Like, I'm not going to want to share everything about the gospel because I know it's going to offend people. I'm already, I've already been to that point. Well, you got to tell somebody, I know you believe this, but that leads to hell. My Jesus promises eternal life, and he is the truth. It's offensive. you telling me I, I grew up in this religion the whole time. Now you're telling me this is the wrong way? That's part of America's problem is that everybody's right. You want to sleep with that person? Go ahead. You want to marry your goat? Go ahead. Whatever makes you happy. Everybody can't be right. That's why Jesus says what? I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets eternal glory without me. Truth can't be relative. It can't be, if you say, yeah, you, okay, that's what you believe. Okay, you're right, too. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, that's what you believe. That's right, too. Somebody's wrong. And I'm telling believers who operate in that truth, we have the truth. Let's live like it. Amen? Amen. Let us bow.